I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, oh, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, oh, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Good deal, good deal. Thank you very much. Um, we welcome each and every one present today. I know someone was having a little difficulty I saw coming in, so hopefully that gave you a little bit more time and we've got everybody connected. But we welcome each and every one here. Those that are viewing uh, live stream, we we welcome you as well and glad you're uh, able to worship with us this day. And I trust life is good for you and, and, uh, and everything is uh, well. Everybody is well and stays well. A couple things in, in just, uh, just, to, just to remind you is we, we worship together. We realize that, that uh, the love of God is more powerful uh, than whatever emotion that anyone faces this day. And God's provision... And his care is mightier than what we can ever imagine and dream. And we hope to give that substance and meaning in just a few moments together. So let's, let's just uh, worship the Lord in, in spirit and in truth. So let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for the beautifulness of this day, the time in which we together can, can worship uh, even in the comfort of our home as well as inside this place and we thank you that you're a God who understands everything that we need in life that you understand everything that is before us and behind us and anything that's that's far in the future and we just ask for uh, our recognition of your hand and your guidance and your direction and your love and grace we want to worship you and just say we love you and we honor you, recognize you as King of kings and Lord of lords, and to recognize you as in your power and your might. And we thank you for covering us with your grace and with your spirit. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing, love so amazing, Jesus Messiah. Some forever, Jesus. 
Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. His body, the bread, His blood, the wine, broken and poured out, all for love. The whole earth trembled. And the veil was torn Love so amazing Love so amazing Jesus Messiah Name above all names Blessed Redeemer personal lives you know and if we could take the time and share testimony you could probably share a testimony when you did not understand Jesus as Lord and then the difference when it came to that point in your life that you did the difference between the two is amazing and realizing that that God is a God who who can orchestrate all the all the events of our life to something that becomes beautiful and magnificent even though during the times we go through those things it may be a little rough or it may be a little bit of questioning maybe what is God up to I'm ready to get released from this pain or whatever and then as we go through it then we realize through that process 
God was re- helping us rediscover the, his, his lordness, if I may use a term like that, to recognize his lordship and what he is all about. The message today is about provision. And we've probably all been in situations in our life where we've had, uh, we've had plenty and we've had very little. And when provision comes during the little time of our life, the provision seems to be much more welcomed. When we have plenty, sometimes the provision is overlooked. It's just the nature of what we go through as human beings. But I want us to look at some examples through Scripture of God's provision and what He, he's, he was up to in certain individuals' lives in hopes that it connects with us that we will agree that he's up to something in our lives as well. And so the title of this message is Experiencing God's Provision in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 36. And really, um, the focal is in verse 28 of Acts chapter 2. And beginning there in verse 25 of Acts chapter 2, For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me and you will fill me with gladness in your presence. And he says, brothers, I I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the Messiah, the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has resurrected Jesus. We are witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my, the Lord, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, Let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Beautiful passage of Scripture. Some thinking that it may be a reference to David in this prophecy of old, but it's not. It's about Jesus. And and so the, the writer of Acts clearly defines that God is up to something, was up to something from the very beginning of time, and was providing through the Messiah for all of us. So the question is this, can God be trusted? Now I know that sounds like a crazy question coming from a pastor speaking to a Christian body of believers, but can God be trusted? This is not a question to raise doubt, but instead a question that causes us to affirm that indeed he can be trusted. So think about the trust level that you have in 
in the Lord God who is your Messiah, who is your Lord, who is your Savior, who is your friend, and who understands all of the ramifications surrounding your life. And with that in mind, I want us to look at three examples in Scripture to where God provided and how God provides, whether it's through a group of people called the church, whether it's an individual who is a little timid as a, as a prophet comes into her midst, or if it's a little boy who has hardly anything to offer. And so let's look at three scriptures. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, in verses 8 through 16, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16, And it's the conversation that happens between the prophet Elijah and the woman of Zarephath. Now, this is what it says. And this is, to me, one of the most powerful passages in the Old Testament. And I can understand the woman's point of view when someone comes into her life and challenges her and basically challenges her, can God be trusted? All right, then the word of the Lord came to him, get, came to Elijah, get up and go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and he went to Zarephath. And when he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow woman gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything, to, anything baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in a jug. And just now I am gathering a couple sticks in order to go prepare for myself and my son so that we can eat it and die. In other words, she's hungry. She needs provision. She needs help. And someone says, can I have what you're going to eat? And she basically says, I can't. I don't have enough to survive just by itself. And I'm this far gone that even if I eat what I have, it's not going to be enough and I feel like I'm going to die. But Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. So often mentioned in Scripture, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, great joy, he says, the shepherd says, when Jesus was born. Jesus even said, Do not be afraid. I go prepare a place for you, and I will come back for you. And Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you said. Only make me a small loaf from it. I'm sure she's thinking, that guy just don't get it. How clear can I make it? I don't have enough for a loaf. He says, go make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. And afterwards, you will make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. 
The flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will never run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. She and he and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty. The oil jug did not run dry according to the word of the Lord that is spoken through Elijah. That's a powerful passage of Scripture. Here is a very, there is a woman who has great need, and it is very justifiable for her to be in fear, knowing that she has hardly anything to live on, and then to look at her own son and know that the son, she may even lose her son. You know, you can understand the emotion of that mother, and you can understand the, the emotion that she's going, going through trying to figure out this provision necessary in the midst of a famine. And Elijah comes into the scene as a breath of fresh air and challenges her to trust in that which she had never trusted in before, to put her faith into something that was beyond her imagination. Knowing that God was in the working of providing for her, he's a God of provision. He's a God of care, and he's a God of grace, and he's a God of mercy. And yet he saw all that she was going through, and he was working out the details. First pastor I went, first pastorate I went to was a little small country church. And everywhere I've, where I was going, not to be arrogant, I, just, I could see that it could grow. And everywhere I, where I went, I knew it was going to grow, and things were going to happen. And this was one particular church that was very, very small. The very church that for a long time we had these hymn books uh, in our pews uh, was the church at Johnson Chapel Baptist Church that I pastored over in the country area. They're the ones that donated uh, those hymn books for us to use uh, when we first got started. And... It was a small building. We could fit the whole building inside this room. And so we had no classroom space. We had no fellowship area. And so we decided to build. We had $2,000 in the checking account. And out of that 2000 part of that was my salary that week. So it was, it was not anything large. And so we went through all the process and the plans and the meetings. And, and we've got it all on the table. And we've got it where we're ready to build. And, and even I, as the pastor, I knew God would provide, but I'm thinking, man, it's getting down to the midnight hour, and it's got to start happening pretty quick if we're going to say, yes, we're going to build. Well, you can't build much for $2,000. You can't even do hardy landscaping in your yard for $2,000. And we had a business meeting that day. We presented the plans. We were going to build this building. The men of the church was going to build it. We just needed all the supplies. And while we're in the middle of that, a stranger comes into the back door, sits down in the very back seat. His name was George. I nicknamed him George of the Jungle because he just came from nowhere. And he listens to us go through all this meeting, trying to decide should we build or should we not. 
let's just build $2,000 worth, and when the money runs out, that's where we'll stop, and we'll keep building as the money comes in. That's basically what we decided. And he heard all this, and he stood up. He said, listen, I, I just was driving down the road. I've just moved to the Georgetown area, and I just, your church was the church that was closest to the time frame that I wanted to worship, and I saw cars here, and I come in, so may I make a suggestion in the middle of a business meeting? Never heard, never, never talked to him in, in our life. Complete stranger. And he said, I am a general contractor out of, out of Charlotte, and I've moved my business here to Myrtle Beach, and I will volunteer to oversee your project free of charge and build that building. All you've got to do is provide the money. Folks, we never ran out of $2,000 in the account. I watched God take a little bit of oil in a jar and a little bit of flour, a flour in a jar and oil in a jug. I watched him take and it continued to flow and it continued to provide it took us over a year working just on Saturday and sometimes Friday evening, and we built that fellowship hall with a couple of classroom settings, which was larger than the actual sanctuary that we were worshiping in. God provided. I've watched it over and over and over and over again. It's exciting when you're in the midst of that, of that provision. And here was a woman of Zarephath, who was being challenged to provide, to take from her own bit that she had and from her son and offer it to a third party who was a stranger in her life. And Elijah said, if you do this and you trust the word of the Lord, you will not run out of provision. In fact, you will have more and until the rains come and replenishes the earth, and you can work the soil and grow your own food, God is going to provide for you. And so she begins to do that, that work. She begins to do as the prophet says to her. And as a result, she never runs out. Beautiful passage of Scripture of how God saw someone in need, and even though in the midst of doubt and concern, God provided because God is a God of provision. He's a God who knows what we need before we need it. And he knows how to give it before we could ever imagine it. And he's a God who can foresee the future before we ever live it. And God is a God of provision. He knows your life. He knows your health. He knows my health. He knows, he knows where we are. He knows who we are. He knows what we're about to do. And in the midst of, of us still trying to figure out for us even the, the building of a building so that we can move to campus to a, a larger setting and reach out to a, a, a larger community, I still say to you, God will provide. And we will look back even though we'll be up against the challenge, and we probably are right now as I speak, even though we're up against the challenge, God will provide. God will take care of what our needs are. If we trust Him and we place our faith in Him and we begin to walk in accordance to His will and His way and we keep Him the center of the process of our life, 
God became the center of this woman's life that would change her life and change her son's life and eventually change the community's life because this widow's son would, would, would really begin to, to get through a, a difficult point if we were to continue on reading then God would provide through uh, the replenishing of her son's health. And she, she saw it one right after another. And then there's in John chapter 6, verse 4 through 13, is the boy with a meal. Love this story. I know you do as well. But in the gospel of John, uh, chapter uh, 6, verses 4 through, through 13, you'll find another story of someone who has little, and God does something amazing with the little that is offered. And in John 6, beginning in verse 4, Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. And therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't even be enough for each of them to have a little. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Let's mug him. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> what, what are they so, for so many? Then Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and, and after giving thanks, he distributed to them, to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told his disciples, Now collect the leftovers, and so nothing is wasted. So they collected him and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This really is the prophet who was to come into the world. They're basically agreeing, Yes, this is the Lamb of God who's come into this world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and to take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So here's, here's another instance. Now, now it's, it's not just a woman and a son and a prophet. It's now dealing with thousands, 5,000 men. So this doesn't list the women and the children. So there's there's easily could be 15,000 if there's just a spouse and one child. So there's multiple thousands of people who were there who were hungry and, and here was an opportunity that God saw all this happening. He saw the commotion. He saw the people and he's got them right where he wants them, right in the time of need and how were they going to be provided for but through the little bit of bread, loaves, and few fish that this little boy, considering, was rich compared to the thousands who were there. And so, the solution? Grab that bread, grab those fish, and let's watch what God can do with so little. The next church I pastored up in the Charlotte area was a time where we had a visionary meeting 
and we circled the campus and the property across the road was just a piece of property that never was really developed and used other than occasionally an overflow for parking. And so we had this visionary stance and we thought about how we're going to increase the parking. And the group was saying, Pastor, why don't we get the people here first before we increase the parking? And I said, I'm going to give you a challenge. I want you to increase the parking because the people are going to come. And there's thousands and thousands of dollars involved. We're getting probably close to $100,000 for a church that has seven, dollars $8,000 in the bank. Hardly anything saved in a savings account or anything like that. And so we come up with the plan and all that was done. And, and when we get into doing this, we're running into one problem because if you go to, to do something and redo something that was already in place, especially old, and you tear a little piece down, there comes building requirements that it now has to meet code. And one of those was the 12 to 14 steps going up to the sanctuary with the columns that were holding the whole undercovering of the front of the building up. And when we tore into some of that, we realized that if we touched it, it would be condemned and the whole front of the sanctuary would have to be redone. And that's thousands upon thousands and upon thousands of dollars. And we're, I'm sitting in the office, the secretary is sitting at her desk. I'm sitting in a corner, kind of reading over a little bit of material. But in my mind, I'm thinking, boy, what have I got this church into? Wow. It was supposed to be somewhere around $46,000, and now we're into the hundreds. What are we going to do? Door opens. Gentleman sits down, introduces himself, clears his throat. And just talks to me, thinking, okay, great guy. I'm kind of busy today. I don't have time to just sit here and chat. And the longer we sat there and chat, chatted, the more I realized why he was there. Handed me an envelope. He said, you may want to get it to where it needs to go because it's you know, a considerable donation. So he left. So curious. I have to open the envelope. You know, want to fumble through it. $100,000 in cash. Says, don't know what you're doing. Don't know if you need it. God's blessed me, and it's now your blessing. So I called up the chairman deacons. They had this big old safe, and I said, hey, buddy, you, you might need to come down here and take care of this thing. Get it in the safe. Once again, I was up against a great challenge, very discouraged even myself. Many others as well, God provided. Amazingly, just like the fish and just like the loaves of bread in the midst of thousands and thousands of people who are at need in their life, God shows up at the right time, at the right moment, and provides exactly what they need and gives them leftovers. Amazing. God knows your need. He knows what you're facing. He knows what tomorrow brings. He knows your family's dynamics. 
He knows the love of your life. He knows your children. He knows your work. He knows your health. He knows everything about you. And he is in the midst of providing for that. So I ask you, can God be trusted in that? Absolutely. Not as to recreate doubt, but to affirm to you, yes, God can be trusted. We see it with the woman of Zarephath. And we see it with a little boy who has just a small inkling of bread and a few fish. And God takes it multiplies it and blesses the thousands of people. A third example is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 through the Macedonian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 5. Beginning there in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, not just we not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will. Here's a group of churches who really didn't have provision. Here's a group of churches who were suffering themselves in much affliction. A group of churches who really did not have anything to give someone else. And they were insisted that they wanted to take part in the ministry that Paul was involved in and provide through the churches, whether it was a, a penny or whether it was, it was thousands. Whatever they could provide, they wanted to be a part because they saw God at work. And God moved through the, through the heart of a group of people called the churches, the church and a group of churches. And they responded in the ministry to the saints. So that the ministry could continue and can continue to happen all around them. You know, God is a God who knows our future. He knows what you're facing tomorrow. He knows your health. He knows your family. He knows what you need. He knows your finances. There's nothing hidden. Everything about you is exposed before God inside and out. He knows everything about you, even the hairs on your head or not are, can't, are counted and numbered. He knows everything about you and me. And he knows what we need before we ever need it. He knows what the, what the needs are before they ever come. God provides. Just as the church was up against a challenge, how are we going to continue to minister in, in the poverty-strickenness we are in? And then all of a sudden, God raises up a heart of people who has a passion to be a part of ministry and gives them everything they need so they could share in the ministry to the saints. Third church I pastored. I'm thankful that I haven't had a lot of pastoring churches like some pastors have moved every three or four years all throughout their life. I like to stay put. I don't like change, believe it or not. I like to stay put. I'm a homebody. The third church I pastored was back here in Surfside. And we were up against a challenge. The church growing, 
didn't have place to even park people. I'm going down the highway on Glens Bay Road, knocking on doors of businesses and asking them, is there any way that you would grant us permission in writing that we can use your parking, your parking lot because we are overflowing and we can't get the people into our parking lot. And if we need to offer some rent money, we'll do that. Every one of them said, no rent, feel free. We're parking from the church all the way up close to Glens Bay Dental along the highway just to get the people in. The lawyer next door says, hey, I got an idea. Let's buy the land around my lawyer's office. If y'all pay half, I'll pay half. We'll develop a parking lot and you can have this on Sunday and I'll use it during the week and you can have it on Wednesday. I'll use it any other time of the week and we'll partner together and create this parking lot. It's a great idea. So we began to work through that process. And then all of a sudden we realized, wait a minute, we're getting all these people in, we can't house them. We don't have the building. So we went to buy the building next door. And we did. Even at the fact that we had no idea how we were going to do it and how we were going to pay for it. And we did. Remember the time when we wanted to buy a bus and the bus was $39,000. The church said adamantly, we are not going to buy this bus, Pastor, until we have the $39,000. I said, okay, don't worry about it. We'll have it in six months. Well, you sure got a your cocky way of handling things. I said, it's not that. If God is, is challenging us to do this, and we feel it in our heart that this is what God is leading us to do to, to work in the ministry of the children and the youth and to bust those kids into our facility every Wednesday and every Sunday. He's got to provide the way to do it. You said that's what he wants us to do and that's what the heart is. Let's do it. But we're not going to buy the bus until we get $39,000. So we began the process. We raised 20-something thousand dollars really, really fast but we're still shy of $17,000. And so we're getting down to the crunch and Wednesday night's coming where we had our business meeting. And if we didn't have the money, it was going to be voted down. And the treasurer was reminding me every day, you don't have the money yet, pastor. We don't have the money. I said, well, Wednesday hadn't come yet. That Sunday after church, a gentleman come down from Maryland and he, he wanted to take me out to lunch. And so we went out to lunch. And while we're sitting there at lunch, he slides me an envelope. He says, I don't know what you need. He said, I've got some dividends that I've cashed in. He was owner of, of several of the Hallmark stores at the time when Hallmark was booming. And he slid me a check. I mean, he slid me an envelope and inside that envelope was a check. And I just said, what, what you doing? What is this? He said, go ahead and open it. $12,000. You know, I'm just thinking. <clears throat> I'm rising off the seat, you know. And so I'm excited. Carry it over to the treasurer. Say, look here, look what God's provided. $12,000. Her response was, we're still 5000 short. <laughs> and I thought, if I've got to borrow the money, I'm going to get that $5,000 because Wednesday's coming. Wednesday afternoon, 
I'm reminded, Pastor, you know what this is? Well, you know, we're 5,000 short. Can't we figure it out? We're that close. Let's present it to the church. They've already voted. If you don't have the 39,000, you're not going to buy the bus. Okay. That afternoon, sitting there in the office, going over my notes, getting ready for some spiritual thoughts, scriptural thoughts for the evening on Wednesday night. Knock on the door, literally. Most people didn't knock when they come into the church door. They just walked in and said, hey. You know. He knocks on the door, and I opened the door and said, yes. He said, uh, can I speak to the pastor? And I said, well, I'm him. He said, well, do you mind if I come in and talk with you a moment? I said, sure, come on in. He sat down, and he was talking to me, and he says, basically to get to the chase of the story, he said, you ever heard of Dollar General? I said, well, yeah, obviously. We've heard of Dollar General. He said, I bought stock in Dollar General back in 1974 when the first Dollar General was established. And I bought stock in it, and uh, I've gotten my dividends, and I've got $25,000, and I've chosen five churches, and I'm going to give $5,000 to each church. And you're one of those churches. $39,000 raised, just like that. So this is what I did. To tell you a little bit of humor in the story. I don't know if Walter and Diane remember how I did this. But we were there in that meeting. And the treasurer, I never told her that I had a $5,000 check in an envelope. I wanted to see what was going to happen. I was being a little facetious, I guess. Maybe a little bit mean. I don't know. <laughs> and I let her get up to that podium. And right when she was getting ready to say, I walked up. She was getting ready to say, I'm sorry we didn't raise the money. She was in the middle of that, that statement. I stood up, walked over, slid the envelope under her little stand, and I sat back down interrupted her conversation. She looked at me and said, what is that? I said, before you go any further, you may want to open the envelope. And she continues on to say that we didn't. I said, ho, 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 look at the envelope. She opens the envelope, and there's the $5,000. $39,000 raised in just a matter of a few months. When God is up to something, the provision will be there. It may come down to a little bit of hunger pains or it may come down to a little bit of questioning how we're going to take care of the thousands or it may come down to the fact that we don't know if the ministry is going to continue. It may come down to the midnight hour. But God, if he's up to something and he's wanting something done, he's not going to put us out there to fail but only to succeed. The provision will happen. God knows who you are. He knows my needs. He knows your needs. He knows your family life's needs. He knows your health. He knows your finances. He knows everything about you. He knows what you've done in the past and what you're going to do in the future and what you're enjoying now in the present. And he knows all those things and he will provide. I'm sure many of you have those same stories. I know the little bit of a similar story with Ken and Carolyn about the real estate uh, market many years ago when y'all moved here. Y'all have got a beautiful story how God provided. And, and each of us probably had those same stories of how God provides. And here I am into the fourth church that I've pastored and we're up against another challenge. 
I'm excited. I've seen it three. I'm batting three for three. I'm batting a thousand. I can't wait to see what's going to happen with number four because it's in the process. Beautifully done. How God puts things together. God's provision is amazing. Now, let me give you what they all had in common and we'll close this out. Let me give you a couple things. What all three of these stories, the woman of Zarephath, the boy with the meal, and the Macedonian churches. What do they all had in common? Number one, they all had a need God could meet. You understand? In other words, there's not a need that God can't meet, but they all had a need and God met it. And when God meets it, it's a, it's a shoutable hallelujah in all of their lives. Third, second of all, is that they all responded to one another's needs. Now you go back to the woman of Zarephath. When she committed to respond to the need of Elijah, that's when God provided. When the Macedonian churches decided to respond to the ministry, that's when God provided. When the boy finally gave up the fish and the bread, God provided. It may come a time that God is asking us to give up something in order for that provision. Don't know what it would be. I can't even imagine it. That's why God's God and I'm not. And He is and you're not. That we just trust Him. Can He be trusted? Absolutely. And yet, they all responded to one another's needs. And number three, they all reacted to having their need met. Every one of them reacted in the affirmative and in the good that God met their needs. They shouted, they were excited, and they saw God was in motion, that God was working. The God of the universe met their need and was ministering to them individually. See, when God provides the need, that means that the God of the universe is working in your personal life and in mine. And that's exciting. Knowing that the fact that, that he has way more to do in this world than to worry about me or to worry about you. But when we see him working, wow. We've got his undivided attention. And he has our attention because we're seeing him at work. God is a God who understands everything about us. He understands all the circumstances around us. So believe in God's ability. Believe in that ability because He can be trusted. And watch God do something amazing in your life and in my life. Never question the fact of what God is up to. Instead, be excited of what it's all about. And to look to Him for strength in the midst of weakness, to, to develop faith in the midst of doubt, and to develop strength in the midst of that discouragement, and to know that, that He gives us courage in the midst of fear. And all those things and those provisions comes alive. Believe in that ability because He can be trusted. Is there something happening in your life right now that you need to trust God in? in your individual personal life, in your marriage, your finances, your work, your family, your travels, 
Is there something that you need to personally let go of in order to trust God in so that He can do His work and His provision be there? Because it just may be that He's waiting for us to give up something so that we can enjoy what He's already in the process of giving. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You We thank you, first of all, that yes, you can be trusted, that you're a God who understands everything in life. You understand this virus, you understand sickness, you understand communities, you understand fear, you understand where where we're at individually right now, you understand the future, you understand finances, you understand church work, you understand the, the multiplication of lives being changed for the kingdom of God. You understand all those things. Help us to see it, believe it, act on it, and begin to enjoy it as we realize you are our provision. Through your grace, through your mercy, through your care, through your compassion, may we understand in an exciting way how you are a God who, who puts it all together, the pieces of the puzzle. I thank you that as I look back in the past, as I think about where I've been and what you've done in the little small, small minute ways that you have shown up in my life and the churches that I've been a part of and how you've shown up in the past and show up now and show up in the future, I give you praise, I give you thanks, I give you glory, I give you honor, and may your name be glorified above all else. We thank you. Thank you that our trust level can rise and increase and our faith can be dynamic and can make a difference for your kingdom. May, Father, this be the day in which we trust you with everything. And if anybody is listening at home and never has committed their life to you, may they understand what it means to walk and to trust you as Savior and give up their their sin of their life and trust you and walk in the grace of your salvation that you give them. Father, may that person today humble their heart and say, God, I am a sinner. Save me from my sin. And may, Father, they walk into the realization that they have a Savior and they have a friend. We give you praise, we give you thanks, and we give you honor this day. In your name that we pray, amen. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to
Take it to 